Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. Today, my guest is Gary Melling, who's the president and CEO at Acquired Insights, uh, a very innovative, forward-thinking company. And we're going to hear just a little bit about uh, Acquired Insights and the work Gary does today. And then as you hear toward the end of the interview, um, I kind of uh, at least pitch Gary on a potential follow-up episode to hear a lot more detail about the amazing work he's, he and his team are doing over at Acquired Insights. So excited and hopeful that, uh, that we can do that. But in the meantime, we'll jo- go ahead and jump right into the interview. Thank you for taking time to visit. I'm just really excited. Uh, we, we had a pre-meeting, kind of a pre-recorded meeting, and just really delighted with what we talked about there and so excited to dive in to a couple of the powerful stories and experiences you've had. Um, I know, well, first, though, we get to hear about you, and that's always so great just to hear kind of your story and a bit of your background of things. So I'd love to go there first. Well, thanks, Spencer. It's a real pleasure to be on today. Thank you for your invitation. Much appreciated. Um, I'm uh, I'm in my mid-60s. Uh, I have um, had, I think, you know, the opportunity to experience some pretty interesting things in life. And, and a lot of that comes initially from the fact that I was uh, a child in a military family. And um, that meant that uh, because of my father's role, we did a lot of traveling. And so uh, while born in Canada at six months old, I I moved to England. Um, I lived there for for about five years. We traveled to France and Germany. We lived in Canada, the U.S. Um, uh, Much of that, although I didn't know it at the time, was really preparing me for the business world and how organizations think about change, change around programs, change around projects, changes around people and workforce and so on. So again, although I didn't know it at the time and it seemed kind of tough bouncing around from school to school, I I think my mom and I figured out I was in something like 17 different schools. Um, I know in grade three, for example, I was in three different schools. So we traveled a lot. When I say we traveled a lot, we traveled even more than most other families. So um, that was really my background. Uh, later on, I went to school, um, uh, have a, a master's in educational psychology, measurement and evaluation. Uh, prior to that, it was involved in electronic engineering technology and graduated from DeVry, um, worked with the military as program director of combat systems engineering, uh, have also worked with some big five firms, uh, Accenture and Computer Sciences Corporation at the time, although the names have changed and they've been rebranded. Um, so those have really afforded me the opportunity to see life and the world and people from a lot of different perspectives. And uh, I'm truly grateful for the experiences that I've had. Um, I'd love to say that it was all by design, but that would be a blatant lie. Um, it's, I find it's usually a combination of careful planning and serendipity. And uh, so as long as you're open to the serendipity and, you know, you can embrace it and work with it, I think it, it leads for pretty rich opportunities. So that's that's a few minutes about me. Well, that's tremendous. I love it. Well, And I, and I want to go back to a statement you made about how you didn't realize it at the time, but the experiences you were having with basically rapid change as a child 
prepared you for now. When did you first connect the two in the sense that uh, I'm kind of a slow learner and I've, I've realized some of those things well after the fact, but I wonder for you if it might have been uh, earlier, maybe in your teenage years, you, you had a sense for where you wanted to go, what, what you wanted to do later. Well, it's a, it's a great question. I think for me, um, I guess I was wired a little bit differently as a kid, um, and I knew it. Um, and what I mean by that is even though I bounced around from a lot of places, we, we actually moved so many times that there were, in some situations, places we had lived in and we were moving back to. And so I had an opportunity once in, once in a while, not very often, but once in a while to be in, in a school I had been in before uh, with kids that I'd known previously. And what I noticed about most of the kids is that they were going to basically grow up, go to school, uh, find a job in their community, and for the most part, uh, live their lives, their productive lives in that community, raise families, and probably expire in that community. I, on the other hand, just have always looked that there's a whole world out there, um, whether it's people, places to travel to, experiences to have. And I recognize and acknowledge the importance of book learning. But I think book learning is at best half of what it is you need to be successful in life. And I think the more people that I have met that are well-traveled and read and and really interested in having experiences and, and looking at the mission of something rather than getting caught up in detail is where um, that typically tends to germinate. So for me, when I was in my late teens, just to answer your question, I, I knew then that there was something quite different about me, but I didn't really have the tools or the language to explain it or to understand it the way I do now. And it was only by having more and more of those real life experiences that I began to see, hey, this I I really actually like this. I know a lot of a lot of other people are are, you know, put off by change or or resistant to change. I look at it as a fabulous opportunity. And I think it's just that mindset along with the fact that I was exposed to so much so fast for so long, it became part of my DNA. <laughs> Well, I love the elaboration on this idea. Uh, I don't normally do this, but I'll, I'll pause here and even ask our listeners to kind of reflectively uh, think about your own past and how much you allow your past to inform your future. How do you carry those lessons from the past forward? I think sometimes we have a tendency to kind of leave the past in the past, not in the sense of dwelling in the past. That's not what I'm talking about, but um, being able to apply what we've learned in our past in the future. Uh, in your case, you s observed other kids. You, you recognized that they were probably going to stay where they were, but you recognized you were different and you were kind of leaning into this process of rapid change and acknowledging that you were different in those important and good ways. Had you not done that, what, uh, do you have any re reflections on how your life might be different? Obviously, it's impossible to really say that, but What's your uh, what's your intuition on that? Oh, I would I would first of all I would be miserable. Um, uh, I think that <laughs> for me, you know, variety is that spice of life. Um, just to give you a quick tangible example, when I made decisions when I was in my teenage years to do things differently, I graduated from high school at seventeen in a rural setting, but I was uh, near the ocean. And the first thing I did upon graduating, I think, it was the day after graduation. I went to a shipping company that uh, sailed ships in the North Atlantic, and uh, I applied to 
be a messman to work in a galley. Um, so I spent my summer sailing up and down the North Atlantic, uh, working with characters and uh, ex-bikers and ex-cons and um, wonderful leaders uh, from officers and crew and just a real hodgepodge. I just find those things so rich. But to your point, you know, it would have been very easy to read about it in a book. It was something entirely different to pick up the phone, to call, you know, the company, to speak with the captain and, and to sell myself as, as someone who could get on a ship and, and actually do a job. So, um those are the kinds of things you have to put yourself out there. And, and, you know, the way I looked at it, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, maybe they don't hire me or they hire me and I don't like it. And, you know, I, I take the job for the first trip a couple of weeks and then I, I pay off the ship and I do something else. So, um, I think when you're young, you have to capitalize on your youth. You, you have an opportunity. You can make mistakes. You can make many mistakes. And they, and, unless they're, you know, fatalistic, uh, there's a lesson to be learned. There's something to be accomplished. And, uh, so I, I think that, um, too many people these days are living vicariously through their mobile devices. Um, it's one thing to watch the nature channel. It's another thing to be out in nature. And so I, I just, I wish more people would be more proactive in doing those kinds of things. But regardless, that's, that's what works for me. So that's what I've been doing. Awesome. I love it. It's such great wisdom. Uh, I can almost smell that North Atlantic air blasting me in the face right now because of how well you articulated that, <laughs> described it. Of course, I, I can't literally because I'm not experiencing it. And that's the important thing that you pointed out. So shifting gears a bit into kind of the leadership focus of our conversation, I know that you touched on an experience uh, off the air before we started recording. Uh, you had with a big five firm that really shaped and shifted the the way you think about leadership and you uh, you solved an important problem with how you interacted with uh, an individual in kind of a high-stakes situation. Uh, hopefully that's an appropriate teaser and love to hear the story. Absolutely. Thank you for the segue. Um, yeah, so I, I was working with a big five firm. It was a financial services client. And, and I, I the reason why I tell this story, it, it's not about me. I'm, I'm not trying to come across as someone who has some inside track or some magical secret sauce, because uh, what I'm what I'm going to talk about is something that anybody can do. It just requires thinking just a wee bit different, just a wee bit different. But the results can be so, so gratifying and scalable. Um, so I was on this engagement, uh, financial services. We were doing a commercial line of business process redine, a redesign. This, this was fundamental to the bank's commercial operations. Uh, my firm had already been in there uh, doing work previously. Uh, some time had lapsed and we were invited back because the quality of the work from the previous team was so good. They wanted to, to have us back and do some more work. Um, in most of the larger firms and certainly even mid-market firms, it's not uncommon for consultants to be sort of buddied up with somebody from the client side. So you have someone that becomes your um, an extension of, of your reach into the client organization. And in this particular case, uh, a very senior program sponsor uh, was paired up with me. I rolled onto the project. I was doing uh, some work in change management, so communications, assessments, uh, um, training and development, developing toolkits uh, for transition to support employees through the process and so on. Um, 
And and basically what happened is after about a week on engagement, the first day was okay. Uh, second, third, fourth day, we're starting to get a bit distant. When I say distant, I mean between me and this uh, very senior program sponsor. And it would lead to what I thought was a bit odd behavior. So, for example, we would agree to have a meeting with somebody else in the bank, let's say at 2 p.m. in a particular room. I would go there to be in that room for the meeting and be looking at my clock or the the wall to see what's going on with time. And I'm waiting five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Nobody shows. So then I realized, okay, let me make some calls. Uh, maybe the meeting's been postponed, a sponsor couldn't make it, et cetera, only to find out that my counterpart from the client side had had a meeting with somebody else in the bank and it excluded me. And so obviously not a great way to start off on the engagement. So for a couple of days, I, I kind of monitored the situation. I was watching what he was doing. We were both in the project room, although he was probably, you know, probably about 40 feet away from me across a couple of other rows of consultants. But I could, I had a clear line of sight to him and I could watch when he was getting up, when he was, you know, going to meetings and all the rest of it. So I, um, one day, I guess it was on the Thursday, I was on the project now four days. I had noticed the first three days that every day at 10 to five, he got up from his desk, uh, jumped up, put his coat on, grabbed his briefcase and bolted out the door. So by day four, I I knew what was, you know, we hadn't been as successful. I hadn't been as successful as I wanted with him in creating a a trusting relationship. So on the Thursday, I watched him. I waited for him to jump up at 10 to 5. And um, I did the same thing. I was ready. My computer was packed. I was ready to go. I met him at the door. And uh, let's just call him Bob for now. I said, Bob, um, you know, I'm headed down to Union Station. I need to catch a train. Uh, it looks to me like you're headed there as well. Why don't we travel together? And of course, we were all this while we're in motion going out the door. I, I used that um, time on the subway to get to Union Station um, to just talk with him generally about the project. And I kind of eased a little bit into him and his background and his family and just very innocent questions. But here's where I think the leadership comes into this. I I got to Union Station with him, and he was headed eastbound, and I was headed westbound to go home. And coincidentally, it was one of my kids' birthday that day, and so there was a birthday dinner planned and presents and the whole thing. I had to make a conscientious decision. Do I call my wife? Do I jump on the train and, and follow Bob going eastbound to get more time with him? Um, which is what I did, actually. I, I went east and... Uh, we went about eight stops. And in that time, what I discovered about Bob, and I said to him, Bob, look, I'm, uh, you know, I've come onto the project just recently. Obviously, they buddied us up. I want to be a resource to you. I, I want you to be successful. I'm not looking to be in the limelight. Frankly, it's not about ego. There's no pride of ownership. I would like to see you uh, be given the credit for anything that I do. I'm just a consultant. And I put it to him that way. And after about 10 minutes, it was really interesting. You could see just the look on his face, the physical transformation, the the way he was engaging with me, the way he was talking with me. And I think what I had done is I'd put my finger on an issue with him, with Bob, that no one had ever really approached before. What came out of my conversation with him is that after about 
33 years at the bank, uh, Bob was two years away from retirement, and he was deathly afraid that this project was going to be unsuccessful. And if it was unsuccessful, what that would mean to his legacy after being at the bank so long, because everybody knew Bob. So basically what I did is I assured him that he would not fall on his sword, that if there was anything that was going to happen that was good, that he would get the credit for it. And if there was anything that we needed to work on behind the scenes, that's something that I would do the heavy lifting for. Well, when I saw the transformation in his face, in his body language, in his voice, I really felt that I'd made some progress. But the proof was going to be the next day, Friday in the office and the following week. And I'm just pleased to say that having kind of a a mano a mano conversation with someone, having a conversation where you get to the essence of what it is they have concerns about. And this is about change management, whether it's an organizational transformation, it's it's change management if it's with your family, it's change management if you're selling something. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, people all have different needs at different times. And it's really important that we we kind of tap into, the, our, we use our sensitivity, we try to channel if we can, to understand what is the resistance? What what do I understand could be a setback for this person? Although I see it a certain way, how do they see it? How, how can I put myself in their shoes? And so I tell this story to a lot of uh, younger consultants when they're just sort of finishing school and coming into management consulting or technology, just to let them know that, you know, sometimes you have to do things. There, there's no book, there's no manual. They don't They don't teach you that in MBA school. These are the kinds of things that come anecdotally from learning about people, about traveling, about learning about business and recognizing that we all need different things at different times. So um, I I think it's it's uh, there are other examples, but I think that that one is kind of nice and neat. And and in the context of leadership, as it relates to organizations and business is probably a reasonable fit. Well, it's, it's wonderful. I really love it. Um, and hearing all the details is so enlightening. I had several thoughts come to me as I'm listening to you. Probably the most significant is connected to how you ended just now, which is that organizational transformation must be preceded by individual transformation, meaning the, the individual has to change before they can be part of a bigger change. Well, Spencer, I think you're spot on. I think you're absolutely spot on. And, you know, organizations are collections of people, whether it's a corporation, whether it's a department, whether it's a team of two. Um, so, so having the courage to be brutally honest and kind at the same time, it's not a matter. Some, te- some people are brutally honest, but they're brutal about being honest. And, and I think that there is a way uh, call it, you know, emotional quotient or emotional intelligent, whatever, whatever, you know, the the buzzwords are. But I, I think it's important just to be sensitive. When I when I approach, a couple of things came out of my career in in change management uh, many many years ago, and and after working in in big five firms, I had the the pleasure of being able to access. Uh, other information within the firm that everybody could share. But one of the opportunities I took, I tried to understand out of all the the hundreds, thousands of projects that we had referenceable material on, how many were successful? And the big question is why? Why were they successful? What made them successful? And in my own sort of clumsy research way, what I determined after reading hundreds and hundreds of program profiles 
it occurred to me that if an organization does not invest somewhere between 22 and 24% of their total program or project budget in full cycle uh, responsible change management, there's about a 70 to 90% chance that that project or program is going to be a failure. Now, whether it's an abject failure, whether it's a partial failure, uh, that remains to be seen. That has a lot to do with the talent of the people and corrective measures and so on. But if an organization doesn't spend that kind of budget on the actual change management side, look, everybody has basically the same questions. What does this change mean to me? What does it mean to my job? Will I get paid the same? Do I have to take on extra duties? Um, you know, will there be overtime? Will this affect my benefits? The, you know, uh, will it change my hours? Will I have to go to shift work? Uh, there are just some fundamental questions that human beings ask. And generally, it, it's partly out of curiosity. But I think what really drives it is self-preservation. People don't like change. And so if if you can approach change in a way that is more gentle, I don't mean it has to be slow. You can still implement successful change management quickly. But that just means the people that are guiding those changes are communicating well, that they're responding you know, to questions and answers in a timely fashion, that resources are being prepared and distributed to the right people at the right time for the right reasons. There are some, some filters that you have to apply when you're involved in program and project change management. But I think leaders need to kind of use those frameworks as guidelines, not de facto standards, not a governance model. Model, but but basically a way of of describing and creating a path for them for how they interact with people because I think you're absolutely right you can have the best organizational change management program in the world but if you have not addressed the specifics of what people want to know you know will my job change etc cetera, etc cetera, then then you're going to lose them and at the very least the project will be less than as successful as it could have been such great words of wisdom. The other one of the other powerful lessons that came from your original story was leadership sometimes requires sacrifice in a very personal mm-hmm. way for you in this example, getting on that eastbound train instead of getting on the westbound train and making it home on t- on time to be with your birthday honoree, one of your children. Uh, that yes. must have been tough. And and I picked up I mean I, I think you're a, a you know, a passionate individual, and I'm sure you're a great husband and father. So to make that type of sacrifice was not a small move, and yet you had to make it in kind of a split moment, I guess, you know, just in the instance of that train being boarded, you had to decide. So how do you weigh that? Because, again, you have priorities of personal and priorities of professional and coming to that place where you're you're leading in a grander sense than just within your role professionally, you're leading in life, I guess, uh, and having to choose between two two very good options. Well, actually, thank you for calling that out. A lot of people uh, miss the subtlety. And, and in the end, it's not so subtle. Um, you're right. I, I got home uh, probably an hour late because I had to go back to Union Station and get on the westbound and I'd missed one train and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I was not very popular uh, when I got home. Um, but you know, it's not like I missed the entire evening. I, I was a little bit later than I had intended to be. So, um, you know, there was a bit of nervousness around, was I going to get there at all? Or was I just going to be late? And so this is back then, uh, we had the old flip phones and uh, not even text texting cape. Well, I, I guess it did, but it, it was very clunky. Uh, so I was able to call my wife and those kinds of tools make it much better. 
Um, but but you're right. You you have a split second to make those kinds of decisions. And um, I guess in my situation, you know, the last thing I wanted was the project or program to be unsuccessful. I, I knew that at best I probably would compromise getting home by about an hour. Could I could I quote unquote negotiate you know what I was doing uh, to my wife on the phone while I was in the process of doing it coming back westbound? Uh, could I look my kids in the eye and, and say you know hey this is what happened I'm sorry um, you know in the end it it for me I was lucky it it didn't make a huge amount of difference because I did not miss the event I was just a little bit late but you know you get home you have dinner and everyone's opening up presents and having a party and you start to see smiles on faces automatically and of course you move into that uh, situation uh, quickly and and live in that moment so we never really talked about it afterwards but thank you for calling that out because I think in this is this is leadership. This isn't necessarily people that have the title of leader. This is just leadership. And and everyone has an opportunity from time to time to show leadership traits, um, some more than others based on their circumstances and situations. But, you know, we have these watershed moments where we, we have to make a decision. Sometimes they're big decisions and we know what's at stake. Other times we, we think we know, but we may not necessarily fully understand the consequence of the decision we make. But part of leadership is also living with that consequence. And I think if you approach it with the right attitude, if your attitude is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm only human. I'm trying to do the best I can given the circumstances I find myself in. Um, this is the best way that I can sort of please both of these masters, if you will, two different competing reasons to be in two different places. But uh, in the end, it all worked out. But it is a dilemma. Uh, and, and I guess what makes it easier is the more of these kinds of dilemmas you go through, the more comfortable you feel making those decisions on the fly if that helps. Now, you still don't get them all right, but at least you feel more comfortable. And chances are it's it's that experience that's going to put you in the best light. Well said. Yep, I, I like how you put that. Well, and I think, uh, again, in the same spirit of what you said about we're talking about leadership in a broader sense here, we're also talking about the connection, I guess, in, implicitly at least, there's a connection even between the tough decision you made to be late to a family event and the fact that doing so laid a stronger foundation to your ability to provide for them. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're yes. strengthening something on the professional side that is going to benefit the family, even if it's not this evening, they're going to take kind of a short-term hit to get a long-term uh, benefit and, and win. So just, just seeing those not as disparate parts that are mutually exclusive, but rather connected and just being careful in, in how those decisions are made. And that's what I love about your story. So it's so great. Well, if if I may add, I'll just one quick thing here. Uh, I notice over the years there have been a lot of discussions about the work-life balance, and and I just find that that approach is is probably more often than not setting people up for failure. Hmm. Um, I think of it this way: if you are on a teeter totter in the school uh, playground, let's say the local park, um, and you were on a teeter totter with somebody, you know usually somebody's up and somebody's down. And so there's there's this kind of tension, if you will, as you're trying to put priorities in place and, and you're thinking about work-life blend. Uh, 
see, and that's the word I use. I, I don't talk about balance because balance is a very precarious thing. But if you blend, if you take some of the organizational skills you apply in your business world, and if you take some of the family relationship, loving, understanding, empathy, things that you take from when you operate and, and interact and, and spend time with your family every day, if you blend those as opposed to balancing them, I think it, it offers an individual uh, an opportunity to be more holistic and, and as a result, more successful for exactly the reasons you just mentioned. I love it. A hundred percent. In fact, I'm going to send you a nickel every time I use work-life blend <laughs> instead of work-life balance, because I think it's so great. Way better way of, of visualizing it. Cause I agree with you. For me, when I've thought about it, there's kind of been this tension of like, what does balance really mean? And how do you, I don't know. So I, I just, I love the shift in thinking about it more like a, a blend. And I think of even like a rope that's braided. It's the braids of the rope that come together and tie into one instead of the teeter-totter metaphor. So that's, uh, that's perfect. Well, awesome. Well, so we're uh, kind of toward the tail end thinking about how to apply what we've discussed. We've, we've kind of drawn out several key principles. Uh, what stands out the most to you as far as key takeaways? And then maybe I'll ask a two-part question. Uh, if you'd like to lead into any recommended actions, what those listening can do today, you know, whatever time of day they're in or in the morning when they go to work, uh, how can they be better as a result of what we've discussed? I I just think in, in today's days with so much technology and being inundated and obsessed with, with technology and social media and mobile devices and, you know, obviously, you know, we work in addition to to the work we do in in uh, organizations around leadership and change management and program delivery and so on an area that we also work with in technology is artificial intelligence and machine learning and so uh, as a result of that exposure for the last several years i i do get a chance to see some of the more rare classified kinds of things that organizations or governments are contemplating and, and where they are on their journey to, uh, and I use the word exploit in a positive way, to exploit that technology for the betterment of mankind. I I, I certainly have uh, views on utopia versus dystopia and job loss and job creation and all kinds of other things. But, you know, to your point, to your question, you know, as you think of uh, lessons learned and and where we can go from all this and actionable um, uh, activities. One of the things that that I find is if someone isn't doing it, it's something that they can they can begin to train themselves to do. Um, I am intensely curious. Uh, if I don't understand something, I've never been embarrassed about being in a room full of people and asking that question. You know, sometimes. Um, Everyone has the same question, but nobody's prepared to ask it. I, that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I find that it it allows you to, uh, in the one way, relate to a lot of people very, very quickly or allow them to relate to you because they were going to ask that question, or at least it was in their mind anyway. The other thing that it does is it it demonstrates, I think, an element of of personal vulnerability. And when you're very secure in who you are and what it is your mission is. Um, when you understand your mission, it's so easy to spot a distraction. Um, 
it's for you know when when you don't understand the clarity when you don't have it if you haven't found it if you're working through it sometimes those can be the challenging times because it's hard to identify what is key to your success versus what is really an activity trap or a distraction and so by getting clear on what your mission is whether it's in in being available to help people living in the moment uh, being more empathetic i mean these are all things there there's a ton of research and information on it available even just googling it that doesn't mean it's all good information it just means there's a lot of information available so you have to take the time you have to invest in yourself i believe the time to to go down some of these exploratory avenues and sometimes they'll produce something that you can use it's something you can reflect on something you can call up when needed other times there may not be necessarily an immediate intrinsic value but like i i said when i was you know a kid growing up i i didn't really understand how the 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 pitch with which we moved and the number of places and times we moved and that was just moving as a family for my father's work. That that wasn't any vacations or anything else. Mind you, we didn't get a chance for much of that when we were younger. But the bottom line here is that, you know, it, it's so important to be open. It's so important to be thankful. It's so important to be uh, acknowledging the support of the people around you. And And if you just... I find if I just take my devices and I put them to the side and I turn them off, I keep um, – this just works for me. It may not work for anybody else, but it works for me. And it's about finding what works for you. What works for me is if I start to feel a little bit overwhelmed or I don't feel connected to what it is I'm trying to accomplish, I'll take some time out, whether it's to take a walk around the block, get some fresh air, whether it's to sit on a cushion and just kind of close my eyes and and drift for a few minutes. Um, Sometimes we need to disengage to better re-engage. And I try to use that time, one, to just be open and receptive to whatever sort of you know, the universe has to provide to me by way of thoughts, feelings, whatever. The other is to start asking some some serious questions. Where am I going with this? What value will it provide? Whose support do I need? Why do I need it that way? Uh, you know, when does it look like something like this can be made and, and sort of production ready, if you will? Uh, you know, how would I go about introducing it to other people? I find that, that a lot of people... Um, unfortunately just are are very comfortable in receiving whatever the general narrative is on any topic become critical ask yourself some questions i mean don't be afraid to learn something um you know there there are some people who are just so comfortable in their their lives their perceptions and everything and i'm not saying you know comfort is a bad thing necessarily i mean we all want creature comforts but I'm talking about the kind of comfort in our mind and and when you're used to when you have a level of comfort with complexity and change I just think that it offers you so so many more opportunities um like I said before I'd love to say that all of this was by design but some of it was sheer dumb luck but it but when I was in a situation presented with that sheer dumb luck I think what helped me in a large way was my openness to just being influenced or channeled or, you know, um, in one way or another affected by what it was I was seeing, hearing, witnessing or whatever it was. So sometimes it's not necessarily always apparent, but, you know, think back, think about the things. How can you how can you rebuild or redirect 
where you want to go, uh, how you're going to get there, who you're going to be on that journey with, uh, unless you spend a little bit of time thinking about it. Wow, excellent. So many, so many great actions are included there. The couple that really stood out to me, I love the, your comments around curiosity. Um, I would, I kind of started to think about that just in hearing some of your, uh, the connections back to curiosity throughout the last couple of minutes to be actively curious, meaning share your curiosity, express your curiosity. I think all of us are curious by nature, at least most of us, but we often, as you pointed out, don't ask the question, don't admit the ignorance on that issue, don't take the steps to go and find out or, or go find someone who knows and find out from them or whatever it is. Um, I think that's a, that's definitely one of those nuggets that if we will apply it, I think we're going to see tremendous payoff just in our own fulfillment. The richness of our experience will increase significantly. Uh, and we'll, of course, in the end, I think it, uh, it tends to lead to a greater contribution as well because we've fed that curiosity uh, on a continuous basis. And I think in your world, especially in the world of AI and, uh, and uh, innovation, that's uh, that's probably the first item on the list of requirements, right? You've got to you've got to have that type of thinking and, and mindset. I wrote down in my note as you were talking, be willing to be uncomfortable so you can grow and change in a positive way. So, and maybe that's like a a cousin to the curiosity, uh, because it is uncomfortable to admit that you don't know, or it is uncomfortable to maybe ask the question in the quiet room with the high powered whoever might be in the room. Uh, but again, it, it tends to lead to positive outcomes in the end, even if, if you get some sideways looks in the moment or whatever. Uh, and as you said, often it's an immediate connection to people who are like, oh, okay, I'm glad someone else had the courage to ask that because I was not that person. <laughs> so I think that that's great. Um, anyway, so wonderful. I think that's a, an excellent uh, challenge for our listeners is just to, to be actively curious, ask the tough questions, go find the answer. Um, and ultimately, it will it will pay off for you personally and for your organization uh, to step forward. Any final words from you, Gary? I really appreciate this time together. Well, I was just thinking as as you were talking there, it reminded me um, of a situation where, you know, in, in the past, I, I've seen so many things. Uh, I usually try to capitalize on that opportunity. Here's a quick example. I was interested in in. Uh, working with a particular company at one point and uh, as a as a management consultant and uh, I just happened to be watching one of the major news networks and there was a short I don't know one minute interview with this person but uh, from the company that I was interested a senior person and so uh, what they had done is on the ticker tape at the bottom of the screen they'd put the person's name where they were located um, you know uh, the part of the organization they were in and I just whipped out my camera uh, my phone rather, and I took, used the camera to take a, a shot of the TV screen. Um, uh, as soon as that segment was over, I went to my computer and I Googled that person, that organization. And lo and behold, I was able to get their office phone number. So I called them and and I said, hi, you know, my name's Gary Melling. I just happened to catch your interview on blah, blah, blah. Uh, you said some really intriguing things. I, I, if you don't mind, if you've got a few minutes, I'd I'd love to ask you a little bit more about it. Well, what what happened in that situation is that I could have very easily just seen the TV segment and said, oh, that's that's interesting. You know, maybe I'll follow up on that sometime. But the fact that I took out my, my phone, took the picture and then Googled, found the person, found their contact information and called them. I physically called them. Um, it, it meant I, I could have spent two or three months dithering 
trying to figure out if that was something of interest to me. But because I was so intensely curious about what the conversation was about, I was prompted to take that action. So uh, what's the worst that could have happened? Maybe I didn't, maybe I got the wrong number. Maybe I had to be redirected or maybe they were having a bad day and they just didn't want to talk. Come call some other time. Um, you don't, you can't be guaranteed of what those outcomes are, but it's like what Gretzky was saying, you know, he, he, he misses a hundred percent of the shots that he doesn't take. Um, you know, you have to be in a situation where you put yourself out there. And as I said earlier, there's no guarantee, but um, you certainly have a much higher and richer probability of success simply by taking action. And as you take more action, you'll get better at it. Once again, Gary, just so glad that we got to visit here. And I think that we probably have more to talk about on the AI side. And we touched on a couple of things in our pre-session uh, that I'm really interested about as well. So maybe we'll... Uh, if you're open to it, love to book a, a round two with you uh, sometime in the next bit here and, and hear more about kind of the, the AI and, and technology side of things. I welcome the opportunity. Thank you. It's been a real pre pleasure. Thank you, Spencer. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Gary as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. One of the things that I've really found myself thinking more about, and this, by the way, is one of my favorite aspects of being a podcast host and having the blessing of conducting these interviews because so often I learn things that aren't necessarily said, at least explicitly, but part of what the my guests create, and Gary did such a great job creating, uh, is this environment where I have the chance to think and reflect. And, and I hope that you're having that same experience. So as I've had that experience, toward the end of our conversation, I just found myself thinking about what I would just call the, the myth of the workaholic, meaning those who sacrifice everything really are the ones who win in the, in the end. I think there's kind of this, uh, at least in in American society, maybe North American society even, perhaps, we got to include those Canadians for Gary and his, his great team up there in the North and so many wonderful people up there, uh, <clears throat> is is this idea that uh, to, to really win, to succeed big, you have to give up your personal priorities. You have to be willing to answer a phone call at any moment. You have to respond to email at 2 a.m. I've talked and worked with a lot of leaders who are in that mode. And there is a limit to how long you can sustain that. There, Those things lead to burnout. They lead to a diminishing contribution over time. So it's, I suppose there's some irony in, uh, in calling that out because one of the core stories that Gary shared was when he had to make a decision to choose work over family just for a short period of time. And I think Gary would be okay with me sharing that because it was a tough decision. It wasn't like he was in the habit of doing this. It was an exception to the rule. He was in the habit of, uh, and again, I'll, I'll uh, send him a nickel for this. <laughs> he was in the habit of living a work-life blending or, or taking a work-life blend, uh, blended approach as opposed to the balance concept, the teeter-totter that he talked about. I just love that. Um, so I think that, again, it's, it's powerful that we're conscious in those decision points of choosing family first over work or choosing work first over family or choosing to integrate the two. More and more of that in our post-pandemic, I use that term in a hopeful uh, context because we're not quite all the way through it, but, but uh, in our post-pandemic world, we are able to blend more and take a whole person approach uh, to the way we work and the way we, we lead our families and in our communities. So I'm sure you probably had different takeaways. That's part of the point of me sharing this is that I hope that uh, something that was said um, or maybe something that was not said, but 
that inspired something in your mind um, helps you want to be better in a specific way and leaves you in a place where you're thinking about um, continuing to dig deep and level up and and move forward again, not level up your number of hours or level up on uh, how many emails you can send in a day, but level up the quality of your work, level up your curiosity uh, and continue to step forward in the ways that Gary recommended. And uh, again, just so grateful to Gary Melling, president and CEO at Acquired Insights. Such a blessing to have him with us today. And I hope you have a terrific day as well. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit lumenleader.com. We'll see you next time.